From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and welcome to Space Nuts, the astronomy podcast with Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, and I'm your host, Andrew Dunkley. Good to have your company. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew. How are you going? I'm very well, thanks. Now, um, we're going to uh, be running possibly shorter segments over the next few weeks because you're, uh, you're going AWOL. (laughs) <laughs> well, um, hopefully I will have leave. Um, I'm applying for it yet. But yes, I'm leading a tour um, or helping to lead a tour uh, with uh, uh, a group of uh, Australians. We're going to Ireland to look at some of the astronomical uh, institutions there. And then we're touring the UK to look at not just astronomy, but science in general and a lot of engineering because we're doing quite a bit of railway stuff. And just, um, you know, the, the, the great British thinkers generally, that's the name of the tour, the great British thinkers. I don't know why I'm leading it, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why it's going to take you so long. <laughs> anyway, that's taking me away uh, for the next few weeks. So we will fill right. in as best we can. And if technology allows, we might try and catch up with you while you're there, but uh, we'll just see how that goes. Yeah, sounds good. Now, today we've got a couple of topics that uh, are sort of jumping out at us at the moment. Uh, one is the, the big question that we've been asking ourselves since consciousness became a thing. Uh, why are we here? But more to the point, it's got something to do with a, a rather um, interesting and foreboding asteroid that is going to come pretty close to us. Uh, we'll also be looking at the shutdown of Philly, the, um, the the probe that landed on the comet and gave us so much data, even though it sort of bounced around like a snooker ball and ended up in a pocket that didn't really help much. Uh, and the ultimate shutdown of the Rosetta uh, probe, well, they're not going to shut it down. They're going to land it and hope for the best. But um, that's, that's not far away either. But, uh, Fred, I know you've got the answer to this. Why are we here? <laughs> well, um, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think, what it's, of course, scientists say we're here to find out about the universe. And uh, um, I'm a, a humanitarian person, and, and I hope I'm one of those as well, says actually we're here to help each other and, uh, and make, you know, just, just help us get along. But that's none of those are the fundamental answer. The fundamental answer is probably that we happen to be on a planet that uh, uh, the conditions were just right in terms of uh, climate and uh, uh, the the sort of mineral resources and the the atoms that are floating around, just right for complex molecules to um, uh, basically turn on to life. Uh, We don't know how that happened. Uh, But um, so living organisms on the Earth have evolved into ourselves, and we are now at a point where we can think about things in a very wide scale. Uh, That is why we are exploring the universe, because we we think beyond our own boundaries. 
Um, and one of the things, of course, that we've realized, and that's uh, something that we only have known about in the last 40 years or so, uh, a bit less than that probably, is that uh, life on Earth has been heavily influenced by bombarding asteroids, uh, particularly in the early history of the solar system when there were asteroids charging around all over. So the, um, the, the one of the... Um, the things that, uh, of course, comes along with that, the knowledge that the Earth has been hit by asteroids, is will the Earth be hit by an asteroid again? And the answer is maybe. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's the thing. We we know of a lot of them and we know where they'll be and when they'll be there in, in many cases, but there are probably many, many more we don't know about at all yet. That's right. So there's been programs of discovery which have taken place over, really over the last 30 years. Uh, uh, NASA was mandated, I think in the late 1990s, to search for asteroids that, um, uh, uh, what are called Earth-crossing asteroids, ones that, that pass close to the Earth, uh, above a kilometre in size and find essentially all of them. I think the mandate was to find, and it's a statistical thing, 95% uh, of them, which they did. Um, that survey was completed, and they, the, the surveys now are looking for much smaller objects, things down to 100, I think it's 140 kilometres or thereabouts, sorry, 140 metres or thereabouts that um, NASA is mandated to find 95% of the total. Um, uh, even an asteroid that size could do a lot of damage, although it is unlikely that... Um, a 140-meter asteroid would wipe out uh, Earth on a globe. Uh, sorry, life on a global scale. Um, however, it's uh, something we need to know about because one of those things hitting a, a country like Australia will basically devastate the continent. Mm. Um, so we uh, are now faced with, um, you know, uh, the, the, the desire to know more about these things, uh, what they are like. And uh, that is the point of this story, which is that uh, on the 8th of September... Um, a, a spacecraft will be launched by NASA, uh, which is called OSIRIS-REx. Uh, that's an acronym, and I won't bother working out what it is, but OSIRIS-REx is basically on its way to an asteroid that could, down the track, threaten the Earth. This is a half-kilometre asteroid, so it's a, it's a big one, um, and it is called uh, Asteroid Bennu, B-E-N-N-U. That is the name of uh, an Egyptian deity. Uh, so it's got a sort of fairly, fairly Egyptian flavor. Um, and the Osiris-Rex mission is going to uh, rendezvous with, astro uh, with Asteroid Bennu. Um, I think it reaches it in 2018. Uh, and the, and the, it will be in orbit around the asteroid really to sort of try and find out all we can about this asteroid with the kinds of instruments that are now at our disposal. Um, you know, all the, all the um, spectrometers and particle physics detectors and the, the whole gamut of devices that we can use to analyze an object like an asteroid. But on the, in, in uh, 2019, it will actually land on the asteroid uh, and scoop up a sample of the asteroidal material. Uh, they're hoping for up to 400 grams. That's nearly half a kilogram, quite a lot mm. of gravel yeah. and soil, they call it, uh, to bring back to Earth, and it will arrive back in Earth in 2023 with samples of the material of asteroid Bennu. Why do we need those? Well, it's all about... Um, if, you, if you're thinking about an asteroid that might collide with the Earth, 
what you need to do is actually deflect it slightly into an orbit that won't collide, make it collide with the Earth. Uh, it's no good blowing it up because then you just end up with lots of bits and pieces colliding with the Earth. So one of the things we want to know about asteroids like Bennu, and it's, a, it's a, basically a stony asteroid, how well bound together are they? Are they just sort of orbiting piles of gravel and rubble bound together very loosely by their own gravity so that if you try and push it out the way, it just breaks up into pieces? Um, these are questions that we really don't know the answers to at the moment. Um, asteroid Bennu itself is is one that may possibly collide with Earth um, in sort of 150 years or thereabouts. It's got a it, it's got a close encounter with Earth in 2135. Put it in your diary, Andrew. Yes, yeah, I'll check that out. <laughs> um, so in 2135, it will pass within the um, the distance of the Moon's orbit. Um, and depending on exactly where it passes to the Earth, because there's uncertainties in all these things uh, in relation to the Earth, we, we don't know what that will do to its future orbit. And apparently, if um, things worked out uh, in an unfavorable way, there could be a collision with the Earth in 2175 or 2196. Now, these are way down in the future, and that's the great thing about this kind of project. What you need if you're going to deflect an asteroid so it misses the Earth, you need time, uh, because um, what you want to do is to be able to impart a, an acceleration just of a few millimeters per second per second to push the asteroid into an orbit that will not intersect with the Earth's orbit when the Earth is at the same place. So This reminds me of a novel um, called Nemesis, I think it was, and it was about a um, cataclysmic collision that was due to occur between Earth and a, a comet or an asteroid or something, and they, they, they were trying to solve the problem of how to not have the collision occur. And they came up with that answer. The, the, they had time and they had the technology to do a sweeping orbit around the asteroid and somehow divert it using uh, a gravitational push or something yeah, like that. that. I can't that, remember. That's correct. Um, actually, um, uh, I know the author of Nemesis quite well because <laughs> uh -huh. he's a former colleague of mine. Um, he, uh, he was, uh, his name is Bill Napier. He and another colleague, Victor Klub, in fact, Victor was my boss for a while at the Royal Observatory in Edinburgh. They were the first people to uh, provide dynamical evidence in the solar system that there have been impacts on the Earth. And they actually wrote a book called The Cosmic Serpent that drew attention to that. But Nem Nemesis was a novel that, uh, that Bill wrote uh, in, in a consequence. So there you are, our, um, science and science fiction coming together to save the world. It's a great story, Andrew. Yes, and it, it also uh, is a, another attempt to do something that um, we have done before and we thought was successful, although the, the craft, when it um, crash-landed, broke open, so they were worried yes, that the right. evidence inside yep. was tainted. Yep. But they, they're going to bring this back. This is coming bring back. It back. That's right. So it will be subject to you know, uh, very high levels of, for, for example, uh, biosecurity. You, you'll basically keep this thing in sterile uh, environment, just in case there's anything on it that uh, we wouldn't like to come back to Earth. That's very hypothetical, of course, but uh, and very unlikely. But um, it, this has all got uh, synergies as well, Andrew, with the other story that we were going to talk about this morning, um, because uh, Earth, earthly probes getting near comets and, and asteroids is very much the flavour of, of what, we're, what we're doing in space these days.
Mm, indeed. Uh, you are listening to Space Nuts with Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. Zero G and I feel fine. Space Nuts. Now, continuing on, Fred, uh, there is um, a little uh, probe that we've been talking about for, well, you and I have been talking about it for years, and, and that is the Philae probe, which, which landed on that uh, unpronounceable comet. Uh, and they recently had to turn Philae off, and its its mothership Rosetta, uh, which has uh, been orbiting that comet um, well continuously, is is also about to uh, meet its um, uh, interesting end with a with a crash landing due the end of September, I think. Um, what what's going on there? Well, yes. So this is the you know we're now in the in the final stages of this marvelous project. Um, uh, Rosetta, the spacecraft, uh, craft, a European spacecraft, went into orbit around comet Churyumov-Gerasimenko, <laughs> otherwise known as 67P. Um, I think it was uh, about two years ago, pretty well, this time a couple of years ago, um, August uh, 2014. And um, uh, you might remember that its mission has been to find out everything we can about this comet. The comet itself is an object about four and a half kilometres across. It is, we would call it the nucleus of a comet because comets are, uh, you know, when we think of comets, we think of these gigantic uh, streams of, of light in the sky that are tr basically caused by the material being evaporated from a comet uh, uh, when it gets close to the sun. So this particular comet is in a, an elliptical orbit, uh, an elongated orbit. It's about six years long. Um, and uh, Rosetta went into orbit around the comet before its closest approach to the sun, which took place in August 2015, uh, to see how comets behave when they get near the sun. They're basically just, uh, uh, you know, balls of ice, although this is a rubber duck-shaped ball of ice, um, which uh, uh, contains dust as well. And when the, when the comet gets near the sun, the ice evaporates, and in fact it sublimes straight into a gas, and and um, and you get these plasma trails uh, tails coming from the comet. So that was all observed by Rosetta very very successfully, uh, and Rosetta itself has functioned perfectly. The only flaw in the whole exercise, as you said, was in uh, November. I think November 2014, probably, the um, the comet dropped uh, a lander onto the surface uh, called Philae, um, which was intended to grapple the surface with harpoons because there's virtually no gravity on, a, on an object as small as that and essentially start making scientific measurements. Now it did that but because the landing was not a landing exactly as you've said it was a bounce, it bounced three times on the on the surface of, uh, of, uh, of the comet, eventually came to rest in a place where its solar panels could not receive any energy so it relied on its batteries which lasted 60 hours and in that 60 hours we got uh, actually an incredible amount of, of data but how long was it supposed to last well indefinitely if it had landed right. somewhere where the uh, where, where the, um, uh, the you know the solar panels would have got the sunlight indefinitely that is to say as long as the Rosetta, the Rosetta mothership was within range to retransmit its data mm. uh, so so that was um, an aspect of the mission that didn't go according to plan, but everything else has been a tremendous success, and we've learned a huge amount 
uh, one of the things we learned actually from Philae was that there are 16 complex organic molecules in the material of this comet. Organic molecules are ones that contain carbon. They're what we sometimes think of as the building blocks of life. These complex molecules are the ones that eventually somehow uh, turned into uh, biotic uh, reactions and, and, and gave rise to life. That's why some people think the raw material of life came to Earth from colliding comets in the early history of the solar system. We don't know that, but uh, it, it, it is a possibility. So what's happening now? Well, what has recently happened is that uh, Philae, uh, yes, it, it became fell silent a year and a half ago. About just rather more than a year ago, there was one signal came back from Philae. There must have been just enough sunlight falling on its solar panels to wake it up and say, here I am. Um, but that was okay. all. There was just a really a very weak uh, signal that was received. It gave people a lot of hope that we might sit, you know, as the comet moved into uh, a place where the sunlight would fall on Philae, uh, that, that we might see it uh, sparking up again. But, but that didn't happen. It was, um, mm. it it was uh, just a, probably a last farewell. We haven't heard from it since. Um, that's more than 12 months without anything coming back from Philae. And there is now an issue, because the comet is travelling further away from the sun, uh, what it means is that the solar panels on Rosetta itself are now not receiving any anywhere near as much energy as they did. And what they need to do is conserve energy for the kind of last hurrah. Um, in particular, uh, they're trying to uh, switch off, well, they have switched off a device called the ESS, which is the electrical port support system. And that was used to basically send home anything that came back from Philae. That's clearly redundant. So that's been switched off, which means that you don't have any contact any possible contact with Philae. So Philae is now a part of history, um, but Rosetta itself will be soon too, because as you said at the beginning, the plan is to actually to try and land Rosetta on the comet. Uh, this is remarkable stuff, whether it will succeed uh, or just result in a crash that essentially wipes out the spacecraft. We don't yet know. Uh, this, that spacecraft was never intended to la land on a comet. I was going to ask, yes, because that was Philae's job and um, Philae was, well, I suppose you'd have to call it a success and a failure in terms of the mission because uh, we did get a lot of valuable data, but probably not nearly as much as we were hoping for because of that issue with... Um, uh, the, the snooker ball landing in the pocket. Yeah, that's but, right. That's right. Um, will Rosetta be able to do anything when, if they successfully land, or will we just go? Yeah, well, we did that. Well, yes, that's right. So if if they, you know, if things work out so that you get a soft enough landing uh, that the com the spacecraft is still operational, it's very doubtful that will happen. Uh, these things mm. are, are built, you know, really not to withstand any kind of impact like that. But it, but if it if it happened, what you would have is the opportunity, depending on where the cameras are and things like that, to actually uh, watch um, the the surface of the comet uh, in more detail, uh, and and maybe even some of the some of the experiments that are that are on Rosetta, things like the the detectors that detect the particles coming off the comet they might have a field day because they'll be so close to the comet that if there is any still any activity, anything uh, boiling off, uh, then we'll be able to analyse it in detail. So it's a rather exciting time. Um, and I'll, I, too, I will certainly be watching the news on that.
Yes, indeed. Uh, we, we do know a lot, and it's probably all uh, deep and meaningful stuff at a, at a scientific level, but uh, I've just traced down a two-year-old article that was written about some of the early discoveries of uh, 67P, and if you could go there and get out and have a bit of a sniff around, literally, <laughs> uh, you would not be very happy. No, that's um, right. <laughs> rotten, rotten eggs, horse urine, alcohol, bitter almonds and vinegar would, would meet your nostrils. Uh, yes, that's right. The, it, that comes from the hydrogen sulphide, ammonia, formaldehyde and cyanide that there is and, uh, coming out from these, the, these uh, you know, from, from the emissions from the comet. Formaldehyde. That explains why comets last so long. Maybe that's right. Yes, they're well preserved. <laughs> Quite so. <laughs> All right. We'll watch with interest. More to come on that uh, in the not too distant future. Fred, thank you. Uh, as always, great to catch up. Good to talk to you, Andrew. All the best. Thanks a lot. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And thank you again for listening to the Space Nuts podcast. And if you'd like to keep in touch with us, you can do that on Facebook and Twitter. Send us your messages and your notes and your observations and your thoughts and your questions. We'll do our best not to answer them. And uh, we will look forward to catching up with you again next week with another edition of Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.